everybody. Welcome to the March 9th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us for what is bound to be a raucous uh, conversation. It's already started this way. It's going to be a great time. Let's get a quick take on the formation of a committee this week that opposes any p potential Olympic bid from Colorado. The uh. No Olympics Committee is chaired by former Governor Richard Lamb and developer Kyle Zeppelin. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, it didn't seem like the whole pro-Olympic side was getting a lot of momentum anyway. Did it need a no Olympics committee formed such as it's been this week? Well, it might help the pro-Olympics committee remember that transparency is good. We haven't had a lot of that. Having a more balanced committee considering this would be good. But this group went further and said, because you haven't considered all these things you really need to, if you actually go forward with a bid, we will take it to the voters of Colorado, which is exactly where it should go if we're going to make a bid on this. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I was not surprised to see Richard Lamb involved in this, and frankly, I was uh, pretty happy to see, as a little nostalgic to see Richard Lamb involved again in, in something in Colorado politics. Uh, do you think uh, it's right for... Uh, him to get involved in it and, and remind folks who may not have been in Colorado back when he led a campaign way back in the 70s uh, about the, the last time we considered Olympic bid. Oh, absolutely. We have lots of new immigrants to the, the state. Um, and he sh this is a reminder to them about one of the reasons that Colorado today is an attractive place that people want to come to is we, among other things, took some steps to try to avoid overdevelopment didn't succeed perfectly, but the Olympics thing was, anti-Olympic thing was definitely part of that, and we were right to, to stop it, and also right to say that the International Olympic Committee, one of the most corrupt global organizations in the world, uh, does not get Colorado taxpayer funding. I think this will also have a deterrent effect, because given that, that Lamb slew the Olympics last time, uh, next time around, if I think the United States Olympic Committee would be likely to say, man, we're not going to put Denver again, especially with that valiant knight Dick Lamb out there ready for one last great battle to, to kill the dragon for a second time. Penfield Tate, uh, attorney with QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Uh, you know uh, as much about Colorado politics as anybody. We have Richard Lamb involved in the Olympics. Uh, I think the, the, the battle tilts his way, I guess is the best way I'd put it. You know, I think the battle tilts his way, and I, and I appreciate the No Olympics Committee coming up because um, uh, there was a, a presumption, there's an undercurrent sort of in a, a segment of the community that believes that this whole Olympic Committee thing is, is for show, that it's a fait accompli, that the powers that be have already decided they're going to bid on the Winter Olympics. They're just going through the process just to wrap it all in a neat bow and say that they got some citizen input. And, and we've talked about this before, the disconnect between some of the, the governing elites and the, the, the rest of the society thinking that we're overdeveloped, you know, we're congested, and a lot of things are happening to us, not for us. And that's how I think people feel about this Olympic bid. Now, I disagree with Patty. I don't think it should be put to a popular vote. Um, I just think it ought to be an open, transparent, and fully inclusive process where you invite all the people who are upset about this and let them convent and express their point of view before you commit to doing something. Joey Bunch from Colorado Politics rounds at the panel today. 
Uh, Joey, uh, 40 years ago or so, uh, Richard Lamb rode this uh, popular tide all the way to a very successful political career. Uh, do you think Kyle Zeppelin or anybody else involved is looking to capitalize on this popular movement? I don't know. You know, and, and I love and respect Penfield Tate, but I agree with Patty. I think this should go to a popular vote because I think it would lose tremendously. You know, we were in our infancy on this growth issue 40 years ago. But we're old folks with it now, and I don't think people want it. I think that uh, this is something that the, um, that the political elites would like to have for bragging rights, but I don't think anybody wants to sit in that traffic to deal with the, uh, with the congestion that comes with that for that two weeks. But also, they don't want to pay the bills. I'm, I'm trying to think of an example of a community that has had an Olympics that's seen a financial, a long-term financial gain from it. I can't think of one. All I hear is horror stories. Mm -hmm. Me as well. Colorado voters caucused on Tuesday, selecting their favorites in the upcoming gubernatorial race. Democratic candidate Kerry Kennedy was able to secure 50% of the non-binding votes, with Jared Polis receiving 30%. Republicans did not release an official vote count from delegates. Patty, how significant is this uh, win in the caucus level for Kerry Kennedy? For her, it is significant. For everyone else, it doesn't mean all that much. Now, we also have to note that Donna Lynn did not go to the caucus. She's petitioning her way on. Polis is doing both. Michael Johnston was the first to turn in his petition signatures, so he perhaps didn't emphasize it as much, but that she got 50% of the vote means she's got a good ground game out there. She did a good job to put her name forward. It's going to help her, certainly, fundraising and with momentum as we go forward. They still have to go to the county assemblies and get 30% of the vote in order to to make the primary ballot in June, but I think we will see her there. And we know we'll see Polis there. We know we'll see Mike Johnston there. They're going to get there. But it's an amazing vote. The Republicans, we really don't know a whole lot about what happened because they're not telling us what happened. But you have to remember that this is only, only 2% of the registered Democrats participated. The caucuses, this fascinating, anachronistic, at least they're not sitting in people's living rooms anymore, you know, on a bunch of doilies. But it really doesn't feel like politics the way politics is going now. When you can mail in vote, when you can campaign online, the caucus, it's a little bit as dead as a dodo. David, when we see the results from the Democratic side, they make a lot of headlines, but as uh, Patty rightly points out, it's 2% of the voters. It, and the votes aren't even binding. The people, the 50% who voted for Kerry Kennedy can vote for whoever they like as they move forward. But it seems to be a momentum builder, even if it's not something that is statistically significant. What do you think? Oh, I think it's, it's very significant in all senses. And um, I, I do miss the old cockeye days when they were at, at somebody's room instead of a uh, massively overcrowded crowded public high school uh, where you wait in line for four hours to get in. Uh, it, that had to change because of the Americans with Disabilities Act, and I understand mm -hmm. that, but the, the old thing had its advantages. Mike Johnston's approximately 9% is going to hurt him. It's not necessarily going to keep him off the ballot, but in terms of his fundraising, that was a uh, people donating to him going forward, that, that was a weak performance. Uh, it also highlights a, and, and by that, they may be only 2%, but on, on both parties, they're the people who are the most activist and uh, engaged. And, you know, they're, they're, even though they're not party officials, they're in, in their own ways leaders uh, of the party. They're more ideologically extreme than, than the mainstream of either party, but that's, this is where they get their chance. There's a split in the Democratic Party between education reformers, which would be Polis and Johnston, who together got around 40 percent, 
and Kerry Kennedy is absolutely the leading voice of, of the other side, very strongly supported by the, uh, the teachers' union. And they demonstrated their clout at the caucus with a really well-organized and, and strong turnout for her. Penn, as you look at this, should, do you think that uh, Michael Johnson should be worried? We're talking about a small percentage here, uh, realistically, but a lot of headlines. And as David pointed out, the, the ground game folks, the folks that you count on to knock on doors and make phone calls and hang out signs, those are the people that really get involved in the caucus level. Should Michael Johnson be worried? You, you know, I, I don't know if he should be worried, but I, I think at a minimum, it shows that his strategy was perhaps too cute by half. I, you know, he was the first to turn in his petitions. Mm -hmm. So why in the world do you even put your name on to go through the caucus process? The only thing you're going to do is disappoint your followers because you figure you've qualified for the ballot already through the petition process. And what you do by going through the caucus process is show that, in fact, you don't have a lot of support. You may be raising a lot of money out of, from out-of-state interest, and that's well and good. And, you know, you're, you're flexing your bank account, but your actual support now looks to be skewed relative to the fundraising you've done. So I think that was a bad idea. For No Ginsburg, I mean, he went caucus also. He didn't get much play. That, that's where Kerry was going to make, make or break her, her campaign. And, and the fact that, that everybody knew she was going that path, it, it's obvious that with the teachers' union, she had a lot of support. She was organized. She did well. Um, I, what I found remarkable in the caucus was two things. Number one, um, the caucus process is radically different when Barack Obama is not running for president of the United <laughs> States. Well there, when, when, when Barack Obama ran twice, there were over 100 and some people in my caucus for my precinct. There were barely 25 this time around. Um, so radically different. Um, the second thing that I thought was interesting is Jared Polis performed, I thought, abysmally with some of the caucus numbers I showed. I, I visited, especially um, in light of the, the money he's raising or has available to, to bring to bear. And on the Republican side, it's a mystery. And I don't know why they're keeping it secret from everybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. Joey, you're our, our guy in the trenches when it comes to covering politics, but I, so you're only able to pick up a little bit here and there about how the Republicans did. You hear more conversation, conversation about Walker Stapleton, and I can understand that, but I guess I was uh, interested that I didn't hear a whole lot about Cynthia Kaufman because she's the only one of the top-tier candidates that is going the non-petition route. She's got to go through the assembly, and if it, it's make or break that way. Uh, is it uh, just a, a, a product of the fact that the GOP does not release the straw poll results? Or should Cynthia Coffin be worried that she didn't make any of those headlines? Yeah, I think Cynthia should be worried, but this has been going on for months with her. She hasn't quite gotten any momentum yet. And there's a growing sense that this is Walker Stapleton's race to lose on the right. Now, we do know about some of the straw polls from some of the larger precincts that he did really well in. And, you know, Cynthia... You know, she doesn't have people out there representing her very well. She doesn't have a, a grassroots campaign that we've seen yet. Now, that could all change. And, you know, things that happen um, at, the, at the State Assembly surprise us all the time. And things can happen at the State Assembly that will make us forget everything that happened last Tuesday night. I think of uh, Daryl Glenn a couple of years ago. Nobody really knew who he was to the State Assembly. He gave a speech that hit it out of the park, and people coalesced around him. And then his campaign fell apart later on. But, you know... Caucuses to me, you know, they're like, they're like rehearsal for a bad high school drama club. You know, they're about the club. They're not about the performance. The performance comes on election day. And, and if you don't show up at caucus, as far as your party, you're a dancing tree. So 
you know, you have to go if you're a good good party member, but I don't think it matters much to the voters at large. Two percent, there's still 98 percent that's going to decide this thing, not the two percent that showed up last Tuesday night. If Twitter can break it down to just trending what's in Colorado, I'm hoping Dancing Tree is trending pretty soon, Joy. I think that, that's a great way to describe it. In a 52 to 9 vote, the Colorado House voted to expel Representative Steve Lebsock last Friday. The first expulsion in over 100 years came after a sexual harassment investigation confirming 11 incidents involving the former state lawmaker. Lebsock changed party affiliations right before the vote, and the Colorado Republican Party announced on Friday morning that it will indeed form a committee to replace Lebsock. David, uh, first of all, we, we were uh, late to the news only because we taped last week at 12.15, and they didn't decide this until after a marathon uh, hearing last Friday until late afternoon, 4 or 5 o'clock. Now that we know for sure that he has been expelled and this whole surprise last-minute change of party, uh, what are your thoughts about the whole thing and especially how the Republicans have announced today how they're handling it? Well, like, like many things in the legislature, you can find it all in my dad's book, Rules for State Legislators, available on Amazon, introduction by Representative Diana DeGette. And in it, he asks the question, what is the difference between the legislature and a small town? And the answer is, there is no difference. He says the legislature, the only experience he ever had in his life of being so much on top of people all the time, day after day, and you, you see them more than, than you see your family uh, often during the session, was when he was in basic training in the Army at, at Fort Belvoir. So the expulsion vote was very much a decision of a jury of Leb Sox peers in that little small town they live in. They know each other very well, and you know, as in basic training, it's kind of hard to hide your, your character ultimately. Now, what the standards are for expulsion and what the burden of proof was, the state constitution has some general phrases, but how you apply them to this case, I think there was a lot of room for individual legislators to make different decisions. And I, I respect all the legislators because I think they took into account what evidence was available to them and applied that to, to how they understood the constitutional rule. Penn, you are a former state lawmaker. We put that in your introduction in every show. What did you think of what went down and what we learned today from the GOP? You know, in terms of what went down, I actually went to the proceedings last Friday and sat up in the gallery for a couple of hours. I intentionally did not want to exercise floor privileges. I sat up in the gallery in the crowd because I wanted to get a different sense of it. Uh, you know, on the one hand, what part of the problem is Steve Lebsack is not a very sympathetic individual. Um, and and it, sometimes how you treat people is more important than what you do. And his behavior in general was problematic. But uh, when I, at the start, I, I didn't think they had 44 votes to expel. As the day wore on, it's clear that some people just wore out and decided, what the heck, let's vote them out of here. But, but a number of legislators raised some very good points that I think the General Assembly is going to have to be mindful of going forward. Number one, in the introduction to this topic, the term that we used in the intro is confirming 11 instances. No, the problem with the whole investigation, such as it was, is the investigator said it is more likely than not that these things happen. That's like flipping a coin. It's not a legal standard that would prevail either preponderance or a reasonable doubt. And so... Unfortunately, because of Steve's issues, he couldn't very well make that case, but other legislators did. Um, and I respect the decision they all had to make, but a number of legislators said, you know what, maybe censure, but this is an elected official who is one of our peers. We're not the, the manager firing a subordinate. Maybe expulsion 
is a step too far. Maybe we ought to censor the guy so that the general public knows we don't contone this behavior, which is clearly out of bounds, but maybe expulsion was a step too far. A and I think what happened is the weight of the emotion in the debate swayed some people. They voted to, to put him out. And then his last-minute change of party was, like I said, he's a problematic individual, and he's doesn't generate a lot of sympathy. It, it definitely played out like a, a really good telenovela, just minus the subtitles. It was very interesting. Joey, what have you heard over the week? I mean, we, it's been a full week since it happened. Uh, while the GOP announcement that they will fill the seat came today, uh, the reaction, we've been able to get a whole week of how it's gone down. What have you heard? Well, this is a political process. The announcement that we heard today that the Republicans will fill the seat, that's a political decision. The decision they made last Friday was a political decision. The, uh, and I agree with Pinfield. I didn't think they had the vote when the, uh, when the day started. But it wasn't the he said, she said parts of this that sank. Uh, Steve Lebsock, it was the retaliation. You know, the first day of the session, or the day before the session, he sends out this 28-page memo criticizing his accusers by name and with some of the personal things that they had told him. It really rubbed people the wrong way. And uh, Representative Cole West, the assistant House minority leader, gets up and says, we can't, we can't tolerate that. You know, we don't know if these accusations are true, but we only have to look in our inbox to see what, what, Steve, what Steve did. Um, you know, we've got, this isn't over yet. We've got three Republicans accused in the Senate. And we're going to, Democrats now want Republicans to play by the state same standards and uh, move to expel Senator Randy Baumgartner. But, you know, Lepsock's an outlier on this. The number of women, the number of accusations, the way he acted afterwards, he made this decision very easy for them. You know, whether it's a court of law or a court of public opinion, Steve Lepsock had a fool for a client. <laughs> You're on fire today, Joey. Well done. Uh, set me up. <laughs> <laughs> Patty, uh, you have not only a reaction to what we saw uh, yet last week, but then also uh, the heat, or if, if, if there is heat, placed on the Senate now to act on uh, what's going on over there. Your thoughts? Well, there definitely is heat if it's not going to be a double standard, because certainly Republicans were happy to vote to vote Lepsack out. Let's see, I was very wrong because I think I said at this time last Friday that he wouldn't be voted out because of the reasons that both Joey and Penn have talked about, which is that whole more likely than not, that is not a legal standard. And we're not talking about the legislature being his employer. The people are his employer. So, yes, in, a, in an employment situation, someone who behaved like this would probably lose their job. You would hope they would lose their job. But that's up to the people. If you can't not vote for him the next time, you recall him. You do something. You shun him as much as you can. You censor him. Uh, I think the retaliation issues, I mean, he certainly showed just what kind of person he was, criminally stupid, if not an actual criminal, by what he did. But Grantham is not going to be able to push it off to say we've got to go do criminal investigations because these, these actions are not crimes. They are just bad behavior. Activist groups continued the call this week for Mayor Hancock to resign after the news broke last week of suggestive texts sent to Detective Leslie Branchwise in 2012. The Fraternal Order of Police, the union that represents the Denver Sheriff's Department, also sent a letter to the governor asking for the attorney general to investigate the mayor's office. Penn, uh, we talked last week about uh, the, the text and the issue and how the mayor handled it. This reaction seemed 
the critics taking advantage, for better or for worse, of what's going on. Because the, especially the letter from the Fraternal Order of Police cited a variety of things and almost just seemed to have the text as an appetizer. What's your response to seeing the reactions this week? Uh, you know, I, I think we are seeing a story that's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, in part by, by how City Hall responds to it, in part by how City Council, current City Council members, won't respond and react to it, and then just public reaction. It's that whole question of whether the administration is tone deaf to what's going around it in, in the city. You know, as I've moved about and talked to people, the, the things that folks raise is, yeah, it happened six years ago, but why didn't we know about it six years ago when Wayne McDonald got fired? And remember, he's the aide who got fired, but then he sued the city, and what got settled was his lawsuit against the city, not a payoff for his getting terminated. And he got 200000 and and the, the female officer involved got $75,000. So you've got that whole issue, and you've got the issue raised by McDonald's lawyer, which is, why does my client get fired for this behavior? And people say the mayor only has to apologize, and it's okay. Now, we don't know if the behavior was exactly the same, but you've got all that out there. And, you know, as Joey made with regard to our last issue, this is a political topic, clearly. And so people are going to take political advantage, which is what the Fraternal Order of Police have done. But, but what I found interesting, actually, in the Westward story that, that Patty's folks did is, is I think they talked to Kevin Flynn, and the question was put to him, under the charter, the city council has the exclusive province to investigate any officer of city government in any department. Why don't you have an investigation and find out what happened and put this to rest? And I think you may hear more of that from people also. People want to know what the end of the story is. Joy, what have you heard this week as we're now a week past of talking about the issue? Well, you know, Michael Hancock has enemies. He's seen as a rising star in the Democratic Party. And, you know, it's a shame that these cases are under the shade of politics because, you know, in politics, things aren't always what they seem and people take political advantage, as we've said. You know, but Michael Hancock also had that scandal at the beginning of his administration involving prostitutes. So you put those two things together, you, you write some pretty good campaign attack ads. The, um, you know, whether he can survive this, whether he can live past this, it just depends on whether he can fill his resume well enough that it overshadows these, these, these things, or he could do what Donald Trump does and just create a bigger scandal. You know, there's only one Donald Trump, so. <laughs> that is indeed true. Patty, uh, what did you make of the uh, rallies and the letter from the Fraternal Order of Police? Well, you can create an attack ad, but only if someone is running against him. And I think now we're going to see that maybe someone who is a credible candidate will step forward. We already have Kayvon, but you might have someone who would appeal more to mainstream Denverites. There was already a lot of discontent with Hancock before this came out, not about sexy texting, but about growth and the fact that he... He seems to listen much more to developers than to the people in the community. You know, there's a here, um, there's a program tomorrow on the Park Hill Golf Course, and they sent a note to the Hancock administration. No one, they didn't even get a response. They're not going out and talking to people, and Hancock is going to have to do that if he wants to run again and have a chance of winning. David, wrap it up for us. I don't think he should resign based on the evidence that's out there so far, but I think there, there should be an investigation. The Fraternal Order of Police is right. Uh, as Joey says, the proper body to lead that is the Denver City Council, but in our strong mayor form of government, they are supine uh, to the mayor. I, and I don't have much hope that Governor Hickelooper is going to bring the AG into it. 
Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, start us off. Well, the legislature has wasted a lot of time this year, and I would say the recent vote to let people bring in handguns without a concealed carry permit was one of them, especially because today, when I went into the legisl the Capitol, they confiscated my phone case, which happens to be brass knuckles, but still, I was a lot less dangerous than Steve Lepsack. Yeah, happy International Women's Day, Patty. Mm -hmm. uh, give us back the brass knuckles. David. Who would have thought Patty was the one at the table who carries brass knuckles? <laughs> I think everybody knew that if there was anyone at the table who carried brass knuckles, it was Patty. <laughs> Go ahead, David. Uh, it's come out that many high-ranking officials at the very top of the Democratic Party uh, have been meeting for years with Louis Farrakhan. He's a Jew-hating, would-be uh, exterminator. Uh, and it's as bad as me as if somebody else met with David Duke or, or a Klansman. Uh, it, it says a lot about how the bad shape of the National Party, uh, that these people are still considered respectable and have not lost their positions. Penn. Uh, I agree with Patty on this one. Um, I am baffled by why the Senate would vote to move forward with this bill allowing anyone who can legally own a gun to, to have concealed carry without going through the process. It just strikes me, again, as incredibly tone deaf, given the context of what's going on in the broader society. Joey. I'm going to pick Steve Lepsock, but not for the reasons you think. As he left the Senate, uh, left the House, he switched parties to become a Republican. So on one hand, he allows Republicans to fill that seat, but on the other hand, history will rec record that a Republican was expelled that day. I appreciate a guy who goes out a little flashy. I once left a job by going to the restroom and not coming back, and there were a lot of people in that building that wish Steve Lepsock would have done the same. <laughs> Let's get a season of the nice, but somebody rather quickly. Patty. Uh, the Kirkland Museum, opening tomorrow, fabulous building, great contents. David. The bipartisan legislators who are working to reform the public employee retirement system, uh, which is in very bad fiscal shape. Penn. Aqib Tlaib, thank you and goodbye. And the UNC Bears, who are two wins away from making the NCAA college basketball tournament, while CU and CSU are not in the running. Here, here. Uh, representatives Tony Exum and Lois Landgraf of El Paso County, who passed a bill out of the House to connect uh, mental health services and addiction services to the court system for veterans. It passed 59 to 4, and shame on the four who didn't vote for it. That is all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Be sure to take CIO wherever you go. We're on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, and we are there. And you can check out our podcast on iTunes or Google Play. And like we mentioned last week, we are in the midst of our spring membership drive this weekend. So if you enjoy this show, let us know and please consider supporting it by becoming a member. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night.